Greetings and welcome to another episode of Broken Boxes Podcast. Over the winter, I'm taking a little bit of a more relaxed um, experience with the podcast, just trying to take some restorative time for myself and for my community and for my family. So I'll be releasing episodes here and there until the spring, and then I'll try to get back on track in a little bit more of a viable way for my listeners. But thank you for your patience. Um, Be kind out there to each other and allow for complexity. This episode, we get into conversation with April Holder. I first met April Holder smoking cigs outside of a warehouse on the south side of Santa Fe, New Mexico at the Humble Art Space. She had purple or blue or green hair, a leather jacket studded up and sharp biting wit that is so rare these tender days. It was everything we could all do not to spend the whole time laughing outside when there was a show to put on. I was invited there as a DJ to play a set by fellow local DJ, the werewolf Michael Wesley, also known as an incredible painter. Little did I know that that time would become many times and a lifelong building of friendship and family would result, including with April. Today we are witnessing our children become best friends. We are growing and inviting changed worldviews and better behaviors. We are supporting each other's goals and work and hearing the pain and evolution of being in community that can't always appreciate or understand us or our growth as weird-ass boss babes in the in-between spaces of being human-type beings. April is on fire, and I am proud to call her a sister. Now a little bit about her art before we dive into our long-format conversation that goes all over the place in the best ways. April Holder is a Sac and Fox, Wichita, and Tankawa woman whose ancestral lands run through Oklahoma and was born and raised in Shawnee. April's artistic practice is a celebration of women, primarily indigenous women, an honoring of the land and animals and the critical connections between. As an indigenous woman, a mother and an artist, April recognizes the responsibility she has to create a healthy space for women like herself to thrive far into the future. April's focus is in painting and printmaking, and she carries an understanding that the creative process itself can have an environmental impact. She strives to lessen this by using recycled materials such as fabric, household objects, and thread, all found or sourced from thrift stores. April's work presents a visual interpretation of the vulnerable and strong stories of indigenous women, such as herself, while creating connection, continuum, and a healthy way forward for her communities to reclaim their power. I hope you enjoy the conversation and have a beautiful day. Check, check. Oh, we need to be equalized. Check, check, check. We're all for equality on this podcast. <laughs> so. yeah, sorry, I'm just still kind of trying to figure out my volume. Mm-hmm. Um, can you say one more thing? Um, I like to giggle. Giggling is healthy. Uh, giggling is healing. And we can use that as a soundbite from now on. Giggling is healing. I love that. Okay, I think we're good. Okay. 
All right. Well, thanks for being here, April. And I just really appreciate you and love you. And we've had such a long friendship. I mean, yes. How yes. I mean, we've known each other for at least I want to say like twelve or thirteen or maybe fourteen or fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, it's been. I mean, gosh, has it been? Yeah, it's been that long. Okay. And yeah, I think it's been about fourteen years. I'd say. We're, we we met sometime in that like. No, we met in like 2005 or 6. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so, been a good it's been a good long run. So, <laughs> which I love. I love that like you met me like mid 2000s when I could have just gone either way. <laughs> you went all the way. Yes. <laughs> um okay, well just uh to bring everybody listening up to speed, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um who you are, where you come from, any affiliations that you like to tag on to who you are, and um, what you do in the world. Um, okay, so my name is April Holder, and I am an artist by profession. Um, I'm from a little town called Shawnee, Oklahoma. I grew up there. Um, I'm uh, enrolled. At it sounds so official, but uh, <laughs> um, I was raised by my Sac and Fox family, and I grew up in my Sac and Fox community. I'm also Tonkawa in Wichita, mm. and yeah, the life's just art, you know. So life's just art. What does that mean? What do you? What type of art do you practice? Where Where's your passion at? Maybe where did you start? Oh, where did I start? You know, I have this weird thing, and I know it probably comes off as sounding, like, strange to people. I feel like I was born an artist. So my first memory, my first actual memory I can recall in my entire life is being really small and drawing pictures in the dirt with my finger. But, like, that felt right. Like... I maybe that's why I I committed to that being like my first memory because I don't remember other stuff from when I was really really small but I remember that and it's just been always my center of being so it started with drawing and painting and then as I um got older and in like in school and high school um learning different materials everything always made sense like I've never encountered um a method or a material where I was just like oh nope can't do this don't want to like I always see the potential for something and even if I'm not good at it because there's plenty of things I'm not good at I still love it like I still love that ability to just jump in there with it and hope for the best mm. Did you have any mentors or anyone in your life, like maybe before, before you really understood what it, what the meaning of being an artist was that informed you or influenced you on how to practice art? Um, so like I had influences for sure. Um, when I was younger, uh, and I was like, you know, that eight, nine, and 10, I would just obsess over this book of T.C. Cannon's art and poetry that my mom had from the time I was a baby. I think she used to read it to me. I think she used to, like, I remember her reading me the poetry out of it and then just 
obsessing over those those pictures those paintings that that beauty and um and then other things too um like I really like uh, Chuck Close I remember getting a book of his portraiture and loving that and um all kinds of artists I um when I was like 13 and 14 I found a book about um um, avant-garde work mm. and so that's when I found like that first like clicked to me like oh art is expansive it's not just that image on a wall in a frame somewhere in a gallery space like it is something you can live and be and that was like a big influence on me but personal mentors um well I I kind of grew up with creative people like I I um I always feel like it's weird because I feel like it's a very like westernized view to separate like who is an artist and who isn't. I feel like we all live in some sort of balance of being creatives to in whatever like whatever method that that takes on in us. So my grandma um my grandma loved music. My grandma could sew, she could bead. She um she could sing, she could dance. Um, a lot of people in my family are traditional dancers and powwow dancers and um, the women in my family were beautiful beadwork artists, my mother, my aunts. Um, my uncle is a wonderful draftsman. I remember just seeing him like draw pictures and things as a kid and he was great. He used to he used to draw tattoos on me, right? When I was a little kid, I was like, hey, come on, draw, draw a little deer on me, a <laughs> little Bambi deer. And... Um, but he's an exquisite draftsman, you know, and these aren't people that are classically trained in anything. That was just their own will to create stuff. Um, my other uncle was a brilliant creative. He, he could sing, um, he could dance. He, uh, practiced, um, creating traditional items and things. Um, there's kind of nothing he couldn't do. And I, I always remember like just kind of being in awe of him because his whole life was like creative in the most beautiful ways. It was also like the way he talked to other people, um, the way he um, just kind of opened things up to where people were comfortable and happy and, and he was funny. And, uh, you know, that in itself, like he really liked life being an art form itself mm. so he was a really big influence on me as well that's beautiful i just wanted to say a really quick side note that april and i are up here in my studio in glorietta new mexico and all of our kids are hanging out together so yes. intermittently you might hear them like slamming a door and laughing and giggling um but this is how mamas do yes that is like a very real part of life um, kind of the same thing I was saying, like how people want to, like, they tend to separate the artist from like the individual or what people do in their personal life. It all intersects. It all makes us who we are. So, I mean, um, I'm as much of a mother as I am an artist, you know? Yes. I agree. I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think that there is no separation and there has to be like a, a bit of like grace that women are 
or women or anybody who identifies as a mother or a caretaker, mm-hmm. the grace that is given to us as we try to navigate finding our footing in places that haven't been open to us right to like remain creative well i i feel like so much um sometimes our society in general it conditions us to believe that you're one-dimensional you are you are the artist or you are the parent or you are but like it doesn't give you room to be that multi-dimensional being you are Mm -hmm. there's so that we live on such a spectrum of who we are and our identity and our personality and um, <laughs> what was I joking with you earlier? I was like, I'm Whitney Houston. I'm every woman. I'm every woman and more. Uh, <laughs> because we can be. Because we are. Because the reality of just any part of the human condition is we're never as simple as this world ever tries to tell us we are. Yeah. And that also is reminding me about like the talks we've been having around social media and how social media can really really put us in boxes and like create one dimensionality and not allow for complexity yes and you know social media is for one i'm like it's a lens it's a narrow lens we don't always think of it that way because we're like it's the whole world wide web it's everything accessible but it's still a lens and oftentimes it's a very contoured lens um people only reveal as much about themselves as they want I think we tend to want to put our um, best self out there, right? Because we realize like this is going to be strangers who are going to encounter us, especially on things like social media. I at one point got tired of that. And so I kind of do the opposite with my social media instead of like the happy like uh, vacation photos and the, um, you know, the pleasant things like there's the pleasant things, but also... I like to uh, use my personal social media to talk about those things that sometimes are hurtful, sometimes are challenging. I realize I allow myself to be vulnerable to a lot of strangers, but also I'm not afraid of it because, um, you know, that was going to happen inevitably. If you just live in the world, it happens inevitably. Like, that's what it is. Um, I feel like we shouldn't always have to put on that front of being happy and well-rounded and successful and being on top of our you know mental health game like the reality is everyone struggles everyone has their challenges and to act like we are um somehow an exemption of those things isn't really human Mm. some of the best parts of us that makes us human and makes us able to relate to one another and to actually have a real connection that is something that is deeper than what social media is, is by owning up to the fact that we're never going to be perfect, but that's what's beautiful. Yes, so much. And as an artist, it feels like you have the opportunity to create an alternate alternative universe almost. Like there's a space for dreaming that art allows that you're not bound to like prescriptions of like what society deems appropriate and I love that about your work you you break you you kind of break reality in a way where it's almost like your work is like psychedelic to me (laughs) (laughs) and I love that about it there's like there's like a dreaming that's happening where I'm like is this an acid trip that's like (laughs) centering like brown femmes (laughs) uh 
I first of all, I love that take on it. I'm gonna start using that in an artist statement. Um, no, you know, with my work, um, uh, more specifically in the painting, uh, reality is surreal. Like we all, um, you know, Nani Nani Chikone, brilliant, brilliant woman, um, wonderful artist. She told me recently. She was like, you know, as artists, we shape our own reality. And I love that she said that because we really do, as human beings, we shape our own reality. And so part of what I do with my work is it's um, symbolic of a lot of those things that are very real, but in a place of my imagination. Um, I do take a lot of like um, interpretations from my dreams into my work, right? Um, because that subconscious mind, it tells you a lot of the important things you need to understand and know so that you can navigate that reality and not let it overwhelm you and understand that there are things that we have to be uh, comfortable in the chaos. You got to be comfortable in the chaos and know you don't have control over it. And then there's other things where we have more control than we understand. Like we have more control than sometimes we give ourselves credit for. Um, a lot of my work is it's, it's very introspective in a lot of ways. Um, and you'll see images of, of myself and my child, people I know, um, women I know, individuals I know, uh, family members. And all of that is part of me like appreciating those connections we have, loving that, enjoying it. Um, but also it's, it's so many times it's a celebration of who they are. Like I, I adore my daughter for being just wildly independent in some ways. And, um, and she's, I always say, I'm like, you're so fearless. She can go into like a group of kids and just be like, all right, let's be friends. Let's mm. be buddies. Let's do these things. I wasn't like that as a child. I admire that about her. I love that she has that ability. Um, when I paint her, it's all those things I see in her. And maybe I don't tell that full story to everyone, but I see all that beauty in her. Mm. Um, the same thing whenever I, I do portraits of friends, which I've done one of Ginger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I, I did a series of several um, friends. Yeah, let's talk about that series. They're, it's such a powerful and impactful like body of work. And I'm really excited for when the opportunity to exhibit it comes to be. But I want you to talk about the monumentalness of it and what it means to you, what that series was. Um, so the series I did... Um, to, to give people a, a visual description of it, it's large-scale freehand ink drawing portraits of different women, female, femmes, trans women, just a, a, a number of different individuals um, on bed sheets. And part of the um, concept, conceptual like um, structure of that was that... Um, I love that I got to work at a bigger scale. I always love like, because that's who these individuals are to me. They are so much larger than life. They are, I mean, it's everything from, from activists to poets, to educators, um, to, to a fellow artist. Um, 
and all of these like i said these different individuals bring something so much bigger to this world with just their presence with who they are with what they're contributing and so it didn't seem right to do small portraits of them mm-hmm. i know i don't ever want to reduce them you know they're 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 massive entities to me and they've had such a huge impact on my life um so i went with queen size sheets you know of course <laughs> i had to go with queen size snap yes <laughs> yes and then the 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 uh, material itself like using the ink and the fabric so that was something that was part of um a concept i'd started a long time ago years ago and part of it is that i like to i like to utilize recycled materials whenever i can um i think it's just my own personal responsibility and how this world is changing to try to minimize my carbon footprint even in my art practices as much as possible um but also it's that counterintuitiveness to the european art environment they're made to be touched no one's going to harm them if they touch these sheets that that ink stains the fabric once it's on there it's not coming off so you're not going to hurt it by touching it and wouldn't that be a great sensation to give someone you get to feel the portrait you get that tangible visceral experience of something to to feel and to feel nourished with through a different sensation than just the visual but since I, you know, created the image of this person on that sheet, to me, what it, what I'm trying to offer any audience is that hopefully you touch that fabric. Hopefully you feel how they are bigger than life. And hopefully some part of that imprints an emotion on you where you feel that they're gentle and they're strong and they're all those things Mm -hmm. and it gets reiterated and represented in that way and then of course i did about 17 of them and um 17 of these portraits and to display it i i construct closed lines and though i mean that's like a loaded image in itself it's a nod back to um whenever things were uh considered women's work right because um, we've all heard that term. Um, but also, what does that mean? What is the work of a woman? It also is um, part of just anyone that grew up from a different background who knew what it's like to not always own a dryer knows what that image is, where it speaks to a lot of happy memories of where you played in that clothesline as a kid. Um, also, some of that hardship. And to me, that's a lot of what goes into those portraits of those women too they are that gentle playfulness they're also those hardships they're also strong enough to rise to every challenge they also can uh withstand that wind hitting them and still be there so it's weird because the material itself plays into the concept of who they are as individuals for me Yes. Thank you for breaking that down. I didn't even put all of that together. I overthink it. I overthink it. That's why I can't just like make something. I'm like, oh, this little detail is related to this and this. But it is. It, and um, and that's what I kind of I, I originally started calling the uh, work was it's the spectrum of indigenous female identity. Um, 
I I don't even know if really I should even apply to just female because like I, like we've talked about before that binary is limiting to us. This is just a spectrum of of being. And something that I feel like really comes out of your work is beyond female femininity, you know, mm-hmm. like that that divine feminine that can exist through any um, assigned body or gender. Yes, yes. And I feel like that's like this really like guttural, like raw strength yeah. that your work embodies. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I've heard that term too, like the, the divine femininity. I like the divine queer ability. Mm. Uh, that's that I feel like um, is something that we we need to normalize more um, because culturally our our understanding of what is feminine is different it's always different Mm -hmm. um we don't always have to subscribe to that colonial patriarchal um weaponized christian christianized idea of femininity we don't have to abide by that it's not who we are it's never conducive to our health our well-being um and it's that is a cage that is a prison that was put there to fight how powerful we are as individuals Mm. and i it's something that's so frustrating to me because you know you see it in a lot of different ways um femininity is weaponized against Mm. us it's weaponized against people who are you know like if yeah if you subscribe to the binary people who are cis-born female or people who are not cis-born female people you know uh trans females always suffer so much at the hands of the patriarchy but then it's also weaponized towards cis men too mm-hmm. you know oh they they like to do that like they they weaponize it oh you're acting like a girl they use it in the negative they use it to harm and one of the most one of the most brilliant wonderful things cis hetero men can be is feminine mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's that's um that's natural it's healthy for you uh it's courageous at times too to be so vulnerable mm-hmm. um and so somebody who contextualizes and kind of teases apart and builds back up like identifiers and as playing with understanding language mm-hmm. like you do as an artist and an <laughs> activist and a community organizer how do you stay on top of being quote unquote politically correct in the way that you talk about ideas around identity because it feels like it's shifting so quickly um the way i deal with it is i am completely comfortable with the fact that i'm going to fuck it up (sighs) and i don't mean the sense that like yeah i'm out here to fuck things i mean i'm gonna make mistakes i'm going to make big mistakes and i try to um always deeply appreciate when someone corrects me um because anyone who corrects you cares they're not like it it doesn't matter how they present that correction to you they cared enough for the fact that they could see somewhere where you can do better if they correct you appreciate it be thankful um i'm thankful i've had good people correct me i'm thankful i've had people who i don't even know correct me because they want to see better of me. So part of, you know, trying to be politically correct. It, I don't even think like, I don't even like that term. Cause I'm like, it's not political. 
it's trying to be compassionate mm. and like not be out to harm mm. not you know it's never my intention to be harmful to someone i would take no pleasure in hurting anyone do i discuss things that are very hurtful yes that's part of what it that's part of the human condition too my intention isn't to harm anyone but sometimes lessons aren't always easy and and then also it's part of what other people take away from it you know um if i if i correct someone i'm not doing it out of some vengeance and some spitefulness i'm not i'm not trying to be malicious um but it is because i care mm. i hope others care and i do know that lots of people out there do and yes i'm going to mess up i'm going to use the wrong terms i'm going to have to sit and learn from that and take my own responsibility and accountability for it and always try to do better because i'm i'm going to be here for a while i'm i'm not going to be gone tomorrow i got a whole <laughs> lifetime to learn yeah. and i want to spend that lifetime learning and what are some ways that you've learned how to practice self-compassion as you do fuck up and as you do move through like learning a more responsible way to be in community with people who want to be seen a certain way that you're you're still developing understanding towards is there anything you've learned that you could share so um so when i do fuck up um i um I stop and listen to every single word that the person who's correcting me is telling me. I sit down. I take it to heart. I appreciate it. And I try to respectfully be in dialogue with them. So it's not like, well, you correct on me on this. Why? I, I sit there and I'm like, I appreciate that you explained this to me. Can if it's not taking up too much of your time because that's the other thing too I don't ever want to take up time and space that doesn't belong to me that's not fair to do to anyone mm. um, and it's usually uh, you know parts of the community that correct you their time and their space is already taken advantage of so I don't want to do that I don't want to do that but if they're um, compassionate enough with me to sit and 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 talk to me more um i always appreciate it listen like actively listening not just waiting for your turn to talk you and i have talked about that before yes, yes. actively <laughs> listening actively listening committing it to memory um being grateful for that and then really applying it to your life like um there's like the, the that phrase where people say uh talk is cheap right it's about action I think people forget that words are action because they retain a power. And if it is someone coming and talking to me and I mean, that's a gift. They, if they're sitting there and they're correcting me to help me be better, they let me be part of community with them. Like that, that takes so much of real active love to speak to people, to, uh, listen mm -hmm. like listening is love in action um 
freely being able to express yourself is love in action. So I don't think, um, I, I know people are like, oh, it's one thing to talk about. Talking is resolution. Mm. Talking is powerful. Um, having dialogue and communicating, really communicating with people is something that can really change a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's important to name that um, communication through social media can be really limited. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't let you see the, the texture of a full conversation. No. And, um, and it like, how do I say this? I love when people reach out to me. I will like I will go ahead and have that dialogue with them even if I don't know them. Um if they're just like if they're very adamant and like I have to talk to you about this, you post, you know. I'm like, "Okay, let's talk." But you know what I don't like to do? I don't like to do it back and forth through the the messaging, the private messages. I will send them voice clips because tone mm-hmm. and and that like I said, it's all about that real human experience. Social media kind of creates that barrier there mm-hmm. where you don't always have that. And I'm like, it's tone. It's how you're saying it. It's all those emotions that go into those words so that you understand like a lot more of the meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think when you hear it from someone, when you're able to really, it's communication isn't just what the word is. It's, it's all those other parts of interacting. So I'll do that with people. I'll like I'll straight up send a stranger like a voice clip I'm like hey you know I posted this and this was about like the you know experience of indigenous people and you seemed upset about it you know or they'll message me first and be like yeah you know you you must hate all colonizers or you know whatever they want to say and I'll send them a voice clip and be like why do you feel this way let's talk about it you know unless they're just outright and adamantly completely disrespectful and ugly which I've gotten plenty of that before um then I'm just like, if I do respond, I'm like, oh, boo-hoo. Like, you know, like, you're not going to bother me. Um, do you send that as a voice clip? Yeah, boo-hoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, there's, um, it, it's social media. There's going to be trolls out there. There's going to be people just out there to hate yeah. for the sake of hating. And uh, and, and I'm kind of a smart ass anyways, too. But I, uh, I whenever it's it's always like, and I'm not trying to say it's all cis hetero men. I'm by no means saying that, but it tends to be cis hetero men who like to come after me about some things and they'll message me and be like, you know, you're just a bitch. Like they start off calling you the names. They always go to bitch. They always think that's like, they're like, Ooh, I really stuck it to her. Like I've never been called a bitch before. Or cunt. Yeah, exactly. Or cunt. I'm like, Oh man. Ooh. And you know, and it's always these like very aggressive responses. And I like to point out to them, first of all, you owe me one. I made you feel something. You owe me one. I invoke this emotion in you. So you're welcome. Um, also, I, I, I always like to point out to you, I'm like, you got really hurt by what I said. Yes, re- words retain power. But also, I'm a 5'3 little native lady from Shawnee, Oklahoma. So if I'm hurting your feelings, I suggest you not go out into the world, son. There's some worse shit out there than just me up on my social media. If my Twitter is really, like, driving it home painfully for you, I suggest you stay in your house. There's a lot of bad shit out there, you know? If I've intimidated you, if I scared you, if I provoked something in you, yeah, um, you might not be ready for the world. <laughs> just saying. 
But I think that that, that just says so much around generally how we are dealing with like the dismantling of white privilege and oh, like, yeah. the white tears, the, the, um, the complexity of like owning what you've benefited from versus other people who are finally just beginning to like reclaim voice and power. Oh yeah. Um, and then there's like, so there's this thing with, with, uh, uh, you know, when people come from a place of privilege, there are some that are oblivious to it. Like they are so blissfully oblivious to the fact that they are so utterly privileged. Um, they don't live in the world the rest of us do. They do not. Uh, and and it's and it's usually a very rude and hurtful awakening to them when that happens. Um, and then there are uh, people who, um, what do I always call? It? I'm like uh, they, they're like I'm 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 here. I'm just here trying to trying to be a better person. And I'm like that's great cool you got good intentions well awesome bless your little heart you got good intentions uh it's not enough it's not enough like it's not gonna be enough um oh you befriended a person of color cool not enough uh you have to really relinquish that privilege and that is not just what you have in this materialistic physical world that is your mentality that is your mindset you have to relinquish all of that authority and privilege it's given you. And when people have to be told that, they don't like it. Mm. They, um, they're just like, oh. And I'm like, oh, you thought this was going to be like... And you can relinquish it in dialogue. You can start breaking it down. You can start having those difficult, uncomfortable conversations. And it will be hurtful to you. And, uh, I've had people where I've told them stuff and they start crying and I, I, I like to be a considerate person to other human beings, but at the same time, I'm like, why are you crying? You weren't the one who experienced it. Were you? Yes. It's great. You have empathy. I've been moved to tears by other people as well, but some of your tears come off as guilt. And if you're still centering yourself in it. You're not relinquishing that privilege. Mm. Yes. And I think there's something also really interesting that I'm witnessing as there's a culture of quote unquote wokeness, you know, that <sighs> there is a lack of um, naming and crediting the labor of indigenous, brown, black, queer, trans community members who have been painfully carving the way for people to wake up and um, hold space in a more accountable way. So that's something that I just want to name that as people start to listen and be in dialogue and learn, credit the communities who have paved that way for you. Acknowledge them. Well, I, um, I, I think it's more than crediting people. Um, I think it's celebrating too. Like we, we have to, it, it's not just like giving credit where credit's due. Like it's sacrifice for so many people. It is so much sacrifice on a professional level, on a personal level, on who like you have to know that even if you're trying to do your best for your community, you might be persecuted by that community. And it's a lot for one person to do. Like at the very least we can do is celebrate people. 
to you know like yes credit them also celebrate them be thankful be grateful um because so many people give so much of themselves and it's really hard for people once again if they come from that place of privilege they do not understand that some of us personally know people who gave so much of themselves there was nothing left for them to show up in lots of other ways that's a big sacrifice that's hard for any human being to do and so whenever we talk about like it's weird i feel like um people need to be reminded uh being woke and conscious and compassionate is not a competitive sport um (laughs) that is not a competitive (laughs) sport um the the construct of competition is rooted in uh colonialism in that patriarchy in all of those things in that capitalism and those things that we seek to um expose and kind of uh well destroy really if if you're talking about like being woke you know um it's not being woke it's building a better world Mm. understanding Mm. on more levels than just one why things are wrong and how we grow from there um you can't make that into a competition Mm -hmm. that's defeating that's Mm -hmm. that's self-destructive you know what i mean if someone knows more than i do like i said i love it Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i i i appreciate and i'm thankful when someone corrects me again that's a reflection of how much they care Mm -hmm. but i'm not like oh i'm gonna outsmart you on my knowledge of this or that like no i i always tell people i'm like i know some things i don't know everything by the way none of us know everything and um and then there's like this weird thing of uh where people try to be like spiritually woke (laughs) and um i'm not gonna place the blame on uh some people but some people like to appropriate other cultures beliefs and cultural practices and their spirituality and manipulate it to suit their own needs mm-hmm. and um and then they like to claim to be spiritually woke mm-hmm. and that to me is so idiotic mm-hmm. <laughs> so because uh, i'm like yes like you've unraveled the secrets of the universe and the rest of us are just sitting back here in awe of your wokeness i'm sure uh no we don't none of us understand it all like none of us understand it all um once again find that peace in the chaos you're not supposed to understand it all i think it would be such a burden to understand it all can you imagine that like if i knew however everyone else thinks and feels about things oh my god yeah we get a small taste on social media yeah yeah it's overwhelming it's overwhelming um that's a lot to carry yeah yeah Yeah, and it feels like art is that space to kind of like just dream alternative universes and i see that that's what you do and it's beautiful to witness you because you have like a way of practicing your art and then you are very public in the way you respond to contemporary culture as an indigenous woman you are very vocal and present on social media and so like where do those two worlds intersect or do they um where do they uh so with uh art like i said i feel like i was born an artist i was born to uh create things I don't really concern myself whether or not there's an audience there to receive it. 
it's just inevitably part of what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, being vocal and um, expressing myself more on social media. Once again, it's a lens. Um, that's not all of who I am. But I did realize that it affords me an opportunity to say certain things that I feel need to be said to amplify what others are saying. Because um, not every post is like originally my post. It's it's also things that I sh- reshare of others where I agree with them. Also, that person who said it, that's my way of helping you sh- like to show support. If I can't physically be there by your side... I want you to know I'm still by your side. Um, That's another part of it. And I spent a large part of my life being silent. Mm. I spent a large part of my younger life biting my tongue and holding back. And every time I did, I regretted it. Mm. What was the turning point to let you speak out? (laughs) maybe frustration (laughs) Uh, um, I think it was um, the uh, last few years I got to spend with my grandmother and I think I was telling you this earlier I was like she's a gorgeous woman she she fiercely loved life and and unapologetically was who she was and um, I got to I was thankful to get to spend the last few years of her life very close with her and one of the things she told me was you don't live to be unhappy mm. you know you don't live to be quiet and and I, I I thought about what she said and I was like yeah you don't live to be subdued and conformed and um, holding back for the sake of what someone might judge you for you know it's that unapologeticness it's like okay are they going to judge you? Guess what? You could say nothing and they still might fucking judge you. So who cares? Um, also, like, I'm... I don't want to live on other people's terms. Um, I don't I don't want to... I don't want to be a version of myself that even I can't like for someone else. And if that means that I... Um, when, it, when things hurt me, when things are... Um, to me violently wrong and I see it go unnoticed I'm going to say something once again I'm a little lady from Shawnee Oklahoma people don't have to listen to me they don't have to it's it's so easy to not listen to someone on social media you got a little block button right there simple um I you know that's fine too I'm not trying to win everyone over but as an indigenous person we are all that has survived. I don't think my ancestors fought like hell for me to be here and exist now for me to be quiet. I just don't think that's how it works. Yes. And what is what is some information or what is some how how to last person I interviewed was like I don't like the word advice so I'm always trying to figure out like a different way to say it but like what is some insight that you could provide for young people the next generation who's trying to find their voice trying to come up maybe coming against um, some 
uh, frustration or fear around social media and the transparency that it provides, but how to speak up. And just one second. Okay, they're good. Um, what's some encouragement I can give or insight? Yeah, insight. Um, I think one of the first things is don't be afraid of your own voice. Don't be afraid of those complex thoughts or even simplistic thoughts that you have. You're very valid and worthy and necessary. And part of how we think is what makes us beautiful, unique individuals. Um, I guess, like, don't fear that. Because sometimes we internalize it, you know. We're like, oh, I shouldn't, you know. And then uh, the other thing, too, is is um, no matter what you say, there will be people that will love you for it. And there will be people that hate you for it. And there will be people who don't even freaking care. That's how it always is. It can go either way. By the way, either way it goes doesn't make you any more or any less of who you are. You know, it doesn't. Um, like I said, I do believe that words do retain a power. Um, as an indigenous person, I come from an oral tradition. That's, that is part of that lesson is that they do retain a power. And even if you're just kind of empowering yourself, good for you. Good for you. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm proud of you. You know, I don't care who's hearing this later on down the line. Just know I'm really, really proud of you. Um, I believe that too. Uh, sometimes I, I do that on social media. I'm just like, let me just throw this out there. Whoever is reading this, I'm really proud of you. I mean that with all my heart. I don't know you. I don't know any of your story. I don't need to know any of it. You didn't have to prove yourself to me to, for me to be proud of you. We can do that too on social media. We can do that too on our public presence. We can do that in real time with anyone anywhere mm -hmm. um so it you know i think that's part of the encouragement i can give is that you know always know that it's sometimes it's just about you sometimes it's out there for everybody sometimes it's a little of both none of that's wrong yeah and it feels like you really practice that in your in your art as well like you you run prints and like you you donate them or give them away or sell them. And then you do like painting. Oh yeah. Oh, so with the prints, um, like I love printmaking. I love the whole process and you know me, I don't, I don't use a press. I'll do the hand burnished yeah. prints cause I love that. I love that it's my hand in it all the way through it. It lends towards like how I do painting. It's my hand in it all the way through. But, um, so I have a whole thing with the printmaking with that one project I did and I'm still, I'm still actually getting those out to people. Um, but the Buffalo print I did, the smaller one was, um, part of, it, it was partially a discussion I have with my cousin that she got me thinking about things because she's so smart. She always makes me like think more about stuff. But after I, I had this conversation with her, I was thinking about how there's all these programs and initiatives and things to make art accessible, right? And people's go-to thought process is always like, oh, put it out in a public space, public art, accessible art, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Except for our society doesn't make every human being accessible. We have people who are in nursing homes. Uh, we have people in care facilities. We have people in rehabs. We have people who are incarcerated. They are not one bit less of a human being and one bit less deserving of having that art. So if they can't go to the art, let's bring the art to them. That's accessibility. It's looking at it moving both ways, right? 
So I was like, I can make these prints. I can make a handmade work of art and send it out to people. And there's no monetary interaction uh, required for it. People don't have to pay me for these prints because that's, if you have to do that too, that limits accessibility as well. And I'm like, no, let me go in the total opposite direction of limiting things somehow. I don't want to do that. So the only real limitation I have is my own physical capability of making them, which I think is kind of like cool, you know? Yeah. And the the actual print uh, block itself wearing out or giving over time. Well, I did it on the, that's why I did it on the linoleum. Cause oh, okay. like, I, I was like, it's, those can last for quite a while. Um, I'd like to just do this periodically, like throughout the year. I think I kind of started cause I started it like, uh, at the beginning of November. And so it, it, it just happened to fall in a time where it's like more of like the holiday season or, or, you know, whatever people practice and, uh, and people tend to like reach out and think of family more than, mm. um, but we can do that every, every, every day, every day of the year. I always like to remind people like there's things that. When people talk about like the holiday season, it becomes so commercialized. They feel like they have to buy extravagant gifts or expensive gifts. And um, and they feel like that's the only time they can give a gift too. And it's like, no, in reality, there's so many things we can just offer out there that are gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and art is a, is a beautiful way yeah. to like share an experience with somebody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I I saw this and thought of you. Um, anyone I send the Buffalo prints to, I always want to tell them, tell them I made it for you. Yeah. I made it for them. I, I specifically made it for that individual you're sending it to. It was not intended for anyone else in the world. Mm. Like let them know it was made for them Yeah. because I feel like that says something too. It's not just, um, a manufactured thing. It's like, I made this with a lot of love. Mm -hmm. I made this, um, from my own effort and sometimes pain because I accidentally cut myself whenever I'm <laughs> carving out that linoleum. Um, you know, it's like my actual sweat and tears went into this. Yeah, but there must be a lot of trust in like finding a balance between art that you give away for free, art that you gift uh -huh. and like funding yourself and supporting yourself. I mean you're you're a mama. You're a single mama rocking it in the world. Um yeah and I I know the times where I have made work and offered it freely, realizing that this, um, yeah, I'm not going to uh, be able to do better actually by doing that. Um, I've had people tell me, like, you devalue your work by doing those things. And I, I don't think of it that way um i'm like yeah i i gave somebody something that made by my hand with as much love and effort into it as, as work i've sold you know um but also it i don't have to sell work to be successful mm. i don't have to sell work yes. to be successful as an artist and my stuff doesn't have to be expensive for it to be valuable. And, and also, um, it, it's, it's weird because if we live on that 
capitalist colonial system mentality if we constantly put a price tag on everything mm -hmm. then eventually everything becomes worthless Ooh. that's what happens Ooh. and I, I i always tell people i'm like there my stuff is it is priceless it is absolutely priceless you cannot put some twisted monetary you know configuration onto what I create mm. there's nothing else like it in the world that's what all art is mm. yeah I love that and I think that there's trust that comes in mm -hmm. with that like that's something that Chinupa and I talk about a lot like there's a huge part of his practice that isn't around like monetary gain at mm. all but yeah. it's around just like doing the right thing uh -huh. providing space and platform and it always works out because right. there's trust in the medicine of art. Yes, there is. And, um, and you know, uh, you know, uh, I knew Chidupa before I met you Yeah, and he was, he was my homie. Side note. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> they're like brother and sister. Yeah. And, and you know what the, uh, you know what that comes from is the times I've had, um, priceless moments of solidarity and family and trust, uh, with him because at a time when I was a young artist, I was treated as an equal and I could not have gotten that experience around anyone else. Um, we, we had a really nice, good tight knit group of friends that we all had that with each other, but he was one of the first that reached out to me and did that. Like I didn't get seen as a female artist or a younger artist or, um, uh, some poor native girl from Shawnee, Oklahoma. Like it wasn't that. I was treated as an equal by this, by this peer, by my contemporary. And that like, it's weird. You see it translated through in different ways through all of our works. Mm. And I, I feel like that's how we like stay on the same page. We're always like, yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And there's that, there's that community celebration too. Uh, I love other artists. Oh my gosh. I love other artists. Other artists do like the coolest things. I'm always in awe of them. I'm like, Ooh, look at them because that's like, um, it's like a weird thing that happens and actually i i did a another podcast not too long ago um last month and they were like how do we support you how do we support you in your art like how can we do i think they wanted me to list a website i think they wanted to list me to list a website and be like come come buy my work here and i have to always reiterate to people i am nothing without community i am nothing without my fellow artists you want to support me you you got to go at, at follow nani and follow Lynette and follow Laylee Long Soldier and follow, you know, and like, and buy their work and go to their shows and hype what they're doing. And, you know, like, um, and you got to do that with, with Chidupa and with Micah and with like all these different artists I know, because if they're doing good, I'm doing good. Mm. Uh, if one of us succeeds, we all succeed, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's reverse crab barrel syndrome, right? <laughs> Instead of us trying to get like, pull everyone down we're we're if we're all working to lift one up we're all going to get out you know yeah. it, it's it's all good so yeah and i think that that goes back to that insight or like offering for the next generation it's yeah like like it's so easy to pull each other apart and mm -hmm. to like practice hate or a separatism or othering and like the radical thing is to like celebrate each other Oh, I, you know what? I uh, I have a thing that I'm always talking... You've seen that too, where I'm always talking about radical, unconditional love. 
unconditional love means I don't have to have everyone subscribe to how I think for me to love them. Yeah. Like real <laughs> radical unconditional love means like I we're all capable. Like I I I think we forget that sometimes. And then part of that is the conditioning. We forget our capacity to love yeah. is infinite. Yeah. Is absolutely infinite. We can love unconditionally. Yeah. Does that mean we offer our ourselves our time and our space to everyone constantly? No. That doesn't mean that. What it means is in your core of who you are, you always want good for them. Yes. And I love what we were talking about earlier when we took a hike up the mountain here and you were like, you could love somebody and like not agree with them at all. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can, yes. You can love I, somebody and not like them. You know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying like, oh, we should all stay middle of the road or gray either. But like there's times where I feel like people don't distinguish the difference between like hating someone and being angry with them because mm-hmm. you can love people and be angry with them. Ask anyone who's ever, I don't know, been married, had a child, just lived. You can love people and get angry with them. Mm -hmm. That's normal. Mm -hmm. Angry is a a feeling that comes and goes and it passes. And and it leads to all those other beautiful feelings like understanding and forgiveness and all those really cool things. People act like hate is just like, nope, that's it. Done. Hate them. Hate them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the weird thing about hate is that we let go of some of the best parts of ourselves mm. when we hate someone. Mm. We let go of some. Uh, was it you I was talking to about the word enemy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like, that was all my thing is like I always like to look at words and take them apart and like evaluate them and how they're used. And so like, yeah, I was like enemy. If you say it slower, it's the end in me. So when you hate someone to where they are constantly in opposition to you, to where they're the enemy, what you're really saying is they ended something in you that was supposed to be that infinite love. Mm -hmm. Like, and I feel like that's what we do for as much as we get mad at somebody, we hate that it like we hate. Yeah. We, we don't like that it invokes something hurtful in us too. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of my biggest kind of growing pains over the past few years as I dip into the next stage of my life Mm -hmm. is realizing and understanding that the people who I feel the most harmed by or frustrated by or don't understand or can't have compassion for, it's because I see myself reflected in them. I see parts of myself that I haven't dealt with. Yeah, well, yeah, you do that... um... You do it with people you you really like. Mm-hmm. Um, you do it with people you really don't like. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Like I said, is it the enemy? Is it the end in you mm-hmm. uh, that you see in them? Yeah. And, uh, and then, like, but I mean, everything is in a balance, too. Like, we can't have it all wonderful, great. We all get along. We're like, <laughs> yes, we can love infinitely. Don't have to all the time, too. Like we're allowed those boundaries. We're allowed those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, you know, whenever I've had people that have done more than harm, real damage to me, I always like to remind myself that as mad and as hurt and as fucked up as that lesson was, I needed it. 
Mm. Um, that person still deserves account to be held accountable for what they did. Um, that's the part of the lesson that's for them. And then I also like to remind myself that sometimes we see how we're not supposed to be by how others have treated us. And so there's always that possibility of a takeaway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we have to really, I like to bring Chinupa back into the conversation. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> uh, in this life, we're bound. Um, his, he would always tell me that his grandma would say, it all comes out in the wash. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to, to harken back to the clothesline analogy. Yeah, that it does. Work, it all know? comes out. Um, yeah. And, uh, and like it, th- and there's like really cool things that happen with people. Um, when you forgive someone, really, you start to forgive yourself. You start to forgive yourself where, uh, you have to take accountability for certain things too, you know, uh, relationships like personal relationships are not difficult i've had my good share of relationships that weren't great i have to hold myself accountable for not just where i wasn't a great partner but also where i tolerated where i wasn't being treated the way i deserved um that's still on me i was there i i I was like i was the one that was physically there so um you know, there's all those things, but also I was, I think I was telling you this the other day. I was like, I think I've gone through enough, um, personal, like, like romantic context of relationships where I've been through all the back and forth and all the pettiness and all the different, you know, twists and turns those things can take. I don't really want to be with someone I can argue with anymore. Not in like the sense of like, uh, oh, they're like, Paul and I'm like John and we're having or they're like the Stones and I'm like the Beatles and we're having those arguments. Love those arguments. I'm I live for those arguments. But I don't want to have someone where I'm just constantly in battle with. Mm. Yeah, you know, I want I want someone to fight alongside me. Mm. I don't need to have someone I'm going to battle with. And that's pretty much made me end up alone. But I know I've got my back. So that's okay. Yeah. And that's something that I really admire about you. I think a lot of people right now in this time, especially as we're like creeping in and out of COVID protocols are coming to terms with like really being okay with being alone and not being Mm -hmm. lonely. Yeah. And that's something I really admire about you. Just how you always talk so much joy about being alone. You know what? I love alone time. Okay. First of all, I'm gross. I'm (laughs) such a gross lady. I'm so disgusting. Uh, But no, like you get really comfortable with yourself. Like, you know when I was okay when I was a teenager I was like super embarrassed I was super embarrassed I had acne I was like convinced everyone saw my bad pimples and stuff I'm older and I'm like fuck I don't even know what I look like half the time you know Uh, and part of that is from being alone from like removing yourself from that general public gaze and feeling like you're scrutinized by it which most of the time you're not um also, people who want to be hypercritical of, like, whatever physical representation you have usually are not the people you need to be around. Yeah. They're not the, they're not the people you need to befriend or be cool with or anything. 
Um, and then also, you know, I think it's, um, companionship can be great. It can be wonderful. It can be loving, it can be fulfilling. Um, but really like valuing yourself and your privacy, um, is something that only you can do for you to learn it. Uh, so you have to have that time to yourself. And even, uh, even though it's been like years, years since I've been in a relationship, I have had enough time to evaluate where I just like, like I said, self-accountability, where I was like too much trying to make it a relationship, like push into it. Mm. And I've spent enough time alone now where I'm like, I am, I am the queen of parallel play. I love that. And uh, for what is parallel? Play? <laughs> oh, parallel play. Okay. So parallel play is like, let me sit and carve and work on my prints or paint and stuff. And you be in the same room or same house, you know, doing whatever the hell you're doing. Oh, like, yes. like they're doing their thing and I'm doing my thing. And then we can stop and like have a cup of coffee and talk about stuff and I can show you where I'm working. Or like if they're not directly engaging with me, but still like contributing to the environment like my, I told, I told you this one time I was like, my dream is just to like meet someone who's like, let me play all the records and music I like while you're doing your art thing. And let's not talk to each other for like a good solid four or five hours. That's my dream. <laughs> that is my dream. Oh, that's like the last 13 years of my relationship with Chinupa. <laughs> it's the, it's the best. It's the best because you learn that communication doesn't just always have to be verbal comfortability doesn't always have to be yeah. like directly interacting you get to appreciate that person's privacy like oh man i love it they're doing their own little thing and they're cool and they're great and you just like it for them you don't want to interrupt it you just want to like it for them and uh you know i feel like those are healthy things to do um because the older you get it's it's less about like let's go out and be on the scene and do this and you know like and i like that i wish i didn't do that stuff when i was younger you know i i i'm like yeah it was cool and fun and it's great when you're young and while it lasts but i also like sleeping for eight hours and i i would very much enjoy a partner who's like let's go have dinner let's watch a movie let's go sleep for eight hours yes yes i can do that you know i do that on my own now yeah and like just it feels like you have to kind of become your own best partner yeah your own parallel play it's, in order to it's, welcome anyone in it's no one else's responsibility how happy i am it's on me that's how happy i am mm -hmm. the kind of the same thing where i said i'm not going to deal with someone i can argue yeah. going to argue with anymore uh, yeah, cause my happiness is mine and I'm responsible for it. And if they're just constantly frustrating me, you know, then I'm going to be like, I got to step away from you. I'm not good with you. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not happy, but this is me not being happy in, in relationship, you know? So, uh, yeah, like my happiness is on me. Also, we decide how much of things we get hung up on or what our deal breakers are, or what our boundaries are. Like we decide those you should have a good knowledge of that before you go into a relationship. Like you should know those things. Um, and so, you know, like that's, that's a big part of it. Like part of the being okay, being alone is like, I'm responsible for my happiness. Mm -hmm. 
did I decide one day like, oh, I don't, I don't have a significant other. I must be unhappy. Well, no, I didn't decide that when I was a little kid. I didn't have a partner then, you know, I was a cool little kid. I was just rolling along, drawing and enjoying myself. Um, you get conditioned to think that. Yeah. And I think it's really important. Um, a lot of like kind of unpacking of relationships I've done over the past few years is understanding that there is no monolith. Like nobody can fulfill one, everything for you. Like we need friendships. We need family. We need coworkers. We need accomplices. We need allies. We need, yeah. Uh, all of these different things and everybody serves a different purpose mm-hmm. and that's like deconstructing this like patriarchal like monolith in itself. Yeah. Um it's the uh well, you're right. Like it's not a like satisfaction in our interactions with each other. First of all, they don't always have to be romantic. They don't always have to be sexual for you to really love people and feel seen and heard and understood and comforted and you know, have those things. Um, it, like I was saying earlier, like we're not one dimensional, right? You can be different things to different people and that's okay. And like, like me, like for me personally, when I, when I am in a romantic sexual relationship, I'm monogamous. I'm like, you're the only person I'm devoting that part of myself to in relationship. I also like to be that person's best friend. Like, I feel like friendship is, I'm like, I'm, this is my like little romantic side. I'm a slow burn person. Like, I don't believe people are just like, oh, love at first sight, lightning struck. Like, I'm a slow burn person. I'm like, we built that friendship and we fell, uh, we grew really strong into that love and we're held with it. So, mm. um, but that doesn't mean that like, I can't also be my friend, Tristy's best friend or your best friend, Ginger. Like mm. we're different. Like, that's why you befriend people and you get that like those things with them and um and it doesn't take much for me to be happy but i'm not sitting there waiting for one person to be my only source of happiness mm-hmm. yeah you know it's so funny because this podcast is always at its core about art but i feel like so often it ends up becoming about relationship you know what i mean like and maybe it's because most of the people i interview are like my dear friends but... relationships are great though because that's what art is that's another form of communication it is relating that information to each other and so our relationships on all different levels are are that and and here's a weird thing too that i see people have to like make an effort to explain to other people if you're in a a relationship with someone you owe no one outside of that relationship any of your fucking explanations business time none of that like there's a weird thing that happens um i i don't like that what it's it's like a social media term too people are like oh oh, is it facebook official is it facebook official um i've never even heard that yes i've heard people say that when they get into relationships they're like well we're facebook official now because you change your status yes yes and i'm like you don't owe the fucking world an explanation of who you're in a relationship with. And, you know, um, that's not that like you don't, you know, um, and and I have nothing against people celebrating their partners and being into that. I'm like, cool, you're in love. You got wedding photos. Yes. You know, you got your vacation photos. Hell yeah. Oh, my God. You had a baby. Yes. I'm there for it. I'm happy for your joy. But at the same time, I'm like, 
but you don't even have to offer me that. I'm still just happy for you. Yeah. I just like I love seeing my friends being loved in healthy ways, mm-hmm. pursuing healthy love, like embodying it. So happy for them. So so great. But at the same time, I'm just like, we don't have to put that out there too, and it's different for everyone. It's yeah. just as unique to as individuals there are in the world. Yeah. It's different for everyone. Some people will put all their like. I make fun. Of, I make fun of dating in relationships and stuff on social media. No one knows when I am dating. No one knows. Like, I don't tell people. I just don't. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's health. It's healthy for everybody to find their own relationship to how they share on social media yeah. and what they share. And that's what I love. Like, as I'm kind of like regenerating, like my compassion and understanding for how to communicate. And using this podcast as a platform, I'm like, I don't have to communicate everything through the platform prescribed to me by, like, the fucking capitalist system of Instagram and Facebook. Like, Mm -hmm. I can do a podcast. I can go out to lunch with a friend. I can do, like, parallel play where drawing and painting and poetry with people I love or care about. Go on a hike, you know? Like, there's so much other ways to, like, share information with each other. There is. And and communication is valuable. And sometimes I feel like um, we we degrade it. Like, even if we have something really important to say, like, we don't always pick the most, like, effective and heartfelt ways to communicate it. Um... And then some people, like, manipulate that. Like, the thing about social media, too, is it makes everything instantly accessible. Instantly. The second you see someone's post, you can comment on it. You can like it. You can, you can DM them. Rip you it can, apart. Yeah, you can block them. Like, it gives that instantaneous... That in real life, communi- communication isn't instant. Yeah. That's not how it works. Um, I remember a while back, I had a friend who uh, were really upset that... Um, someone had been sending them good morning text and then they just stopped and they were like they didn't send me a good morning text I was like you put a lot of emphasis on that good morning text you know how hard it is to send a good morning text there's like it auto fills in once you type it like so many days it just auto fills in you don't even have to type out the word Uh, and I was like that's so minimal that's so minimal why did you accept that as for one, your main form of communication, you know, for two, their their main way of them expressing something to you. I was like, you deserve more than that. You're worth way more than a fucking good morning text. You were always worth more than that when you got them. You're still worth more without them, you know. Um, I was like, they just did it because it's that instant gratification. Yeah, I think that we're we're we have training wheels on right now. We're learning how to keep up with the communication yeah. that we have produced, you know. And I I I pray for us. Yeah. That we can yeah. Make it and when it comes to communication, you know, if you can't physically be in the same space to to have these kinds of dialogues and and relationships with people, uh do not hesitate if you are um you know, really like happy and like want to have those like wonderful, like engaging experiences, 
uh, go ahead and FaceTime them. Just go ahead and do that. I always tell people that. I'm like, that is like the the thing that always gets me. I'm like, someone FaceTime me? Oh, great. We're going to sit here. We're going to look at how crazy we look on these like little cameras. Uh, but you get at least a more of a like interactive experience. Yeah. Uh, you don't get the same delays as you do with Zoom. And so, you know, um, but like, that's one thing to do. Um, yeah. Also, if you're going to tell someone off, go ahead and FaceTime. The, do I, it in person. I love, the, I love the voice memo when you're doing social media. I'm yeah. going to use that from now on. If yeah. anybody's trolling me out there on Instagram and you send me a message, I'm going to voice message you Yeah. Back. Uh, you don't even have to say anything. You could just make like the most like blood curdling, like, like growl. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That sounds like Cooking Monster. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm a Muppet. What do you want? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Confuse them. Like, let's, let's deflect that anger with utter confusion. (laughs) Let's do that. Cooking Uh, Monster is my. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I always tell people, or or like even that whenever they th- like they think they're getting to you, you know, they keep on and on. They'll send message after message and be like, "You're a bitch," or kind of blah blah. And I just like message back, and I'm like, "You really like me, don't you?" <laughs> I use I use the NPR voice. Oh, you seem to be spending hours of your life committed tell me to. Uh huh. <laughs> And and then the like and, and the, the sarcasm too. Like I I I I love my sarcasm. I enjoy my sarcasm. There's nothing uh, kind of more upsetting to some men than whenever you you tell them off in the seductive voice. You, you lean in. You're like, hey, did you get pee pee hurt by that? Oh, <laughs> sorry, bro. Like. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I know. I look up to you so much to, to, to remind me, like, how to be strong because I'm so sensitive. Like, I literally haven't been. Like, but that's the best part of who you are. On that's social such media. I can't even. I'm like, I love it. Y'all are too mean. Like, I, I'm down for the cause. Like, I will activate and be on the front lines, send supplies, like, whatever. But when y'all start bitching each other out on social media, like, I can't. And trolls, I'm like, who are you? Robot number oh. 276 with zero right. followers. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. Usually it's a bot. Usually it's something else. I think I told you recently, like, some somebody tried to, like, troll me on Twitter and, like, tell me off because of a post I made. They were like, oh, you know twitter's international and i go and look at their profile and i'm like well i'm sorry if i hurt you and your six international followers you know i'm like it, it's just that well, it's, it's the humanity i like, mean like if you really have an issue with me like holler for real like don't hide behind a bot or like some false come persona. to my house and i will indian leg wrestle you on the floor we could do that uh <laughs> let me cook you a meal and then tell me how much you like question me oh oh you're talking about like like trying to find common ground no i'm like i will i will we could knife battle each other i don't know i'm just kidding i'm not trying to encourage violence uh but but there's like i don't know like it becomes like these weird pissing contests and stuff i feel like and... people are becoming immune to it like the like in the past like six months i've just been having more and more conversations where people like yeah i don't even i don't even 
I'm my shell is hardened to that. Like I used to care and I don't. And I'm like, how sad. I don't want to get to the point where I don't care anymore. But I don't want to be bullied or shamed publicly. I don't don't think it's about not caring. um, Because from my, and this is from my like personal view of it. We've been living for years now in a global pandemic. Mm. Our understanding of our mortality and how fragile life is has become unavoidable and very apparent. And it affects every single one of us. And if people can live through these past several years and still think that they need to get up every day and take their breath of life and focus that on trolling people, talking ugly to them, uh, gossiping about them, and just digging into business that they have no fucking to do with. If that's what they get up every morning and feel like, yeah, that's, that's what life's about. I don't want to know them. Yeah. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to know them. Um, and then there's other people who are like, yeah, we're living in this global pandemic. Yeah. All this shit is going down and they get up every day and they're like, the very least I can do is put something sweet out there. The very least I can do is put something honest out there. I'm at home. Like that's the thing too. We all were at home. Yeah. Social media is easy there. Um, but they're like, at least I can do is put out something honest and heartfelt and meaningful. Because what if I'm gone tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I want this to be the last thing of me that's out there. Okay. I dig that. Th- those people, like, come find me. Follow me on Instagram. It's Eon Fluxus. Um, we can be friends. I'll send you voice clips, too. I'll talk to you like Cookie Monster. I don't care. I will love you. <laughs> oh, well... Speaking of, like, genuine kindness, like, and authenticity, this feels so good. Thank you so much for being here. I always have fun talking to you. I always have, like, a good time. I'm like, oh my god, we've been talking for almost two hours. Really? (laughs) Well, I don't know. We're going to edit it so much. That's the thing about this podcast is I barely edit it. I'm sorry. Oh, is that, that okay? No, that's great. I <laughs> okay. love, like, that's, like, all of it, too. I, like, when I said, like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fuck up. Yeah. Put the fuck ups in there. What do I got to hide this them for? I guess it's called Broken Boxes because everything you're supposed to do, it's not this. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. Is, this is the we're not We're not boxes. trying to get in the box. And we're actually kind of not even we, unboxing. We're just box. smashing the box. Um, oh. We're deconstructing the box. <laughs> So, exactly. yeah. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> I love it. I love it. We went to voices. This is everything. No, but no. Thank you so much for like spending this time with me and like today, just like so people know. Like we went on a hike this morning. April cooked breakfast for our kids, sack and flock style. <laughs> like I made pozole last night, and April threw some fried eggs on it for our kids. <laughs> And then I cut April's hair. And the yeah, bathroom. we had we like we did everything, like and I don't know if other friends get together and do those things. We're like, let's go on a hike. You're gonna cut my hair with fried egg, like that. But you know what? I wouldn't want to do that with like anyone else in the world. Aww, like it was the best, you. you know. Like, yeah. and that's the thing is, let's be human with each other. Like, huh. in a world that wants to polarize us, that wants to pit us against each other and judge each other and pick apart our authenticity like let's go fry an egg and (laughs) cut each other's hair (laughs) 
go on hikes sugar yeah like Uh, let's do that let's have great let's get together and and really love like we mean it Mm -hmm. and on that note i'd like to end my podcast um with a soapbox moment so if you could say one thing to the world and this was your platform what would you want to say i think it's just that love like you mean it just love like you mean it that's that's everything and that's always enough Mm. thank you april yeah (laughs) cut cut Feel so much joy.